Blog Talk Radio. Playing Sports City Chefs from Amazon Music. Especially in these um, combat sports, more 
not really boxing a lot, but more or less the UFC and things of that nature. They're able to, you know, in bare knuckle fight. And I don't know if people watch that, but I watch that also. But they're getting people to come into the uh, ring and kind of um, set it up for the next fight to get everybody, you know, the juice is kind of flowing in the situation. Um, Mike, your thoughts on the fight last night between uh, Elijah Mean Sterling pulling off this defeat uh, against Henry Ciudo? But listen, anytime you beat Henry Cejudo, like you are, you're a stud. Like, and I knew this was that this guy could fight, but uh, that's not a uh, that's that's not a gimme victory for anybody. Uh, you know, winning that fight definitely deserves a, a title shot. Uh, you know, I like the way they, I like the way, like you said, they marketed that. You know, him and O'Malley will be a real interesting sort of contrast in styles when that happens, but. You know, listen, Cejudo has been one of one of the best to do it for a long time. So um, before we think about that championship fight, just stopping and looking at this. This is a, this is a legit win and, and uh, you know, a springboard win for Elijah Man here in this uh, last night. That, that was a big one. I, I wasn't quite sure uh, how that one was going to turn out. It was, you know, Cejudo's uh, wrestling background. He's a guy that I – have followed for years, so uh, to see to see him get away with this win in a, a convincing manner, uh, it definitely sets up that title shot, and it'll be interesting to see. And like you said, I, I love the way you know they had the back and forth, or they they are able to market this and kind of uh, you know it's it's must see TV. So I, I think you know as that fight continues to lead up, uh, they already got some. Uh, they already got some clips of them kind of at each other last night, so uh, that will build, and, and that'll be uh, must-see TV by the time they hook it up. The interesting thing about this is Ciudo is the marketable one, you know, kind of the face of their division. Sterling has actually had way more fights than Ciudo. Sterling is now 23-3, and and with Ciudo is 16-3, excuse me, uh, and taking his defeat was 16-2 before this, so I think they wanted to see Ciudo try to, like, reign as best as he possibly can. But right now, Eliza Mean is the champion of the division. And this was actually a split in the Bantamweight division also, too. So it wasn't like it was a unanimous. Uh, one judge had to go in a different way. But a split decision goes in the favor of Sterling. The one thing that I do want to get to is what made me mad to realize what was going on in the night. Um, and this is in the boxing world. I get it that, um, you know, some of the big-name fighters are doing their best to, like, get tuned up for fights, so on and so forth, and get ready for the big-name fights and have mega fights, so on and so forth, right? I'm going to say this to start a war. I I hope I can get everybody's energy on this or move a mountain somehow, some way. Canelo, you are... hmm, a name that's huge in the sport, one of the cash cows underneath, whomever you're running with, whether it's the zone or if you're working with uh, Oscar with the Golden Boy promotion, so on and so forth, I get it. The fight that he had last night, I, I don't think anybody was entertained by that fight at all. Other than them in the building, of them being in Guadalajara, Mexico, that being the hometown of Canelo, Canelo's first real big fight at home. 
other than that, that guy did not belong in the ring with Canelo at all. It looked bad. His nose was broken by the, I really don't want to say the second round. That's when he started profusely bleeding out of his nose. But I really want to say it might have started in the first, but the second round is definitely when it showed. And uh, he was battered real bad. The one thing that I give Ryder credit for is that he had heart to make it from that second round to the end of the fight. Canelo knocked him down several times. Um, there were some trips that looked like he just fell. It looked like he got knocked down. He did not belong in that ring. Canelo, I get it. You want to keep this record as good as possible. You have to start fighting big names. I, I could care less on who you think makes it look good. I don't I don't even want you to run into Baval because if Baval beats you, I think you'll be shattered. Because when, when Floyd beat him, he was shattered. Baval beat him, he was shattered. I don't think he wants to take a second defeat from Baval, but you have Benavidez out there. You have the Charlo brother out there. Like, they're all in your weight class to fight you. You picked this guy, Ryder, to fight to do what? When everybody wants to see you accomplish something. You're a big name in the sport, and you're fighting somebody that nobody knows. No, Nobody's a big Jack Ryder fan. Like, I don't see Jack Ryder having this big resume that everybody knew about compared to everybody else going out there risking the fight. Like, David Benavidez just fought Caleb Plant a big name in the in the boxing world. You know, these guys are going out there to take the fight. All of them are screaming your name. You don't want to fight them until when? Like, when when does this make make his headway? You're 32. Canelo's now 32 at this point. Like, you're getting up there in age. So it was a good job well done. I don't want to take anything away from Canelo. Canelo battered this guy last night, but it did not look impressive for him. Like, like, of course, I knew he was going to win that fight. Everybody, if anybody thought, if you really felt like Jack Ryder had a shot in that fight, talk to me. I want you to send me an email, text, call me, do whatever. Uh, please impress me on how you feel like Ryder was going to beat Canelo. There's no way. This dude had a money grab to sit up here and just look like a sparring partner and get beat up bad. That, that's all it did to help him get his fandom up at home and um, I guess get people to just talk about Canelo for another what is it, May, the, the next seven months, if he does take a fight in, by September, which he might, but no one can ever, he'll take a long layoff again. Um, Mike, your thoughts on the situation with Canelo, the fight or the win over Ryder, do you agree or disagree on my standpoint of this not being a eyebrow-raising fight? No, this was not an eyebrow-raising fight, but this was, you know, Canelo says that when he fought Bavar last year or whatever, that he was – injured and that he wasn't healthy and all this and you know i don't know if that's excuses or if that's legitimately the truth but this was a this was a homecoming fight this was a tuna fight with whatever for whatever he does next and he's talking about a rematch with the ball again uh maybe in the fall I, you know i don't really know when there's so many people at your weight class for you to fight why you would be trying to bump up and fight this guy again, unless you're just trying to dodge that smoke, like from all these other quality guys at your weight class. But if you bump up and lose to this guy again, which I didn't see anything in the first fight that told me that he can beat him. Uh, but if you bump up and and lose that again, then uh, it, it really, it really taints your career to some, to, to an extent. It really makes it to where you're going to have to try to rebuild your name against some of these people at your weight class. But, no, this wasn't an eyebrow-raising fight. This wasn't really a contest. Uh, I mean, I think the inevitable happened as far as 
what anybody that really knows the sport thought would happen. The question was, would it be a knockout or would it go the distance? Um, and if it was a distance, how wide the margin would be. And so, you know, we saw 120 to 107 on one card and I think 118 to 110 or something on the other two. So, I mean, it was a sizable margin. But, yeah, I 100% agree with you. This was not uh, – out of all the different fights that you could have made, uh, this just seemed like, I don't know, like a tune-up or like a kind of duck and dodge and just kind of draw an opponent just to, to stay busy. But this didn't seem like you were really pushing to – you know what I mean? Like uh, – make sure that you take uh you know your your name is put in like the the history of boxing among some of the greats now if you've been banged up and maybe this was your i want to make sure i'm healthy kind of fight sure but uh i to me if you want to do something really legitimate or, or to to really show your mettle then you're going to have to do it in in future fights because i'm not impressed with this one and you said a tune-up or a stepping stone. Like, who, who, how is it a tune-up? Like, I don't – and not not to put that in front of you like like I'm questioning you. I'm just saying, like, this guy, okay, the one fighter I see right here on his resume is Daniel Jacobs. He beat him by a split decision. This was last year in February, but we haven't heard from Jacobs in a long time. Uh, he lost to Callum Smith, a guy that's lost to Canelo. Um, just looking down his resume. And this is his resume. And I didn't know anything about him at all. And I and I'm and you know I'm totally into boxing. I'm looking at his yeah. whole resume right now. It, it like some of the fights that he has. He lost to Billy Joe Saunders in 2013 too as well. Majority of his fights, the guys that he fought, they don't even have a hyperlink. They don't even have a hyperlink to click <laughs> to see what they're about. So it's like Canelo at this point in time, I could see like you taking a fight that is a tuna fight. This is a sparring session for the people of Guadalajara to see you win a fight. That's all that was. And the crazy part about it is that they're talking about it's historic, and he has all these belts. You don't deserve to sit on all of these belts if you're not fighting nobody. You're not fighting anybody of relevance. I don't know anybody that came to this fight and said, hey, he got a shot to beat Canelo. I really want to go back and look at the odds in Vegas to see what the odds are like. I guarantee it was the, the Floyd Mayweather type of odds for Canelo, like, 10000 to a dollar or, or, you know, a dollar to every, ten, you know, had to do something crazy, you know, to make a make a dollar happen in this fight. There's no way that this guy had a shot at all unless he just landed some it, freaking press the start button on Mike Tyson punch out and just knock Canelo out. That's the only way I feel like he could have did something, but there's no way at all. He's now hey, 32 and 6 in his career. What, what were you going to say? Hey, I could beat that game even as a blind man because it was rhythm on Mike Tyson's punch out. I, I used to mess with people because I would sit with my back to the TV, uh, talking to people in the room and like whooping, whooping the guys on the game. But not like I agree with you, but this to me it's it's almost like uh, that major conference team who's picked to finish somewhere in the middle of the pack, knowing they're about to draw the tough uh, conference schedule. You know what I mean? Like a. a like a Mississippi State or somebody playing something like uh, East Tennessee State or Arkansas State before they get into the meat of their conference schedule, like that home game in front of your fans, like like that feel good. So you know everybody everybody leaves with all this enthusiasm about what the hometown team is, 
you know what I'm saying, before you get, like, into the meat of your schedule or whatever. And this felt like that type of uh, performance or that type of uh, fight for Canelo last night. And this is the slick stuff. I, w- I wish I wasn't on air to say what I want to say how I want to say it. This is the slick stuff that Canelo's up to, right? So if he sits up here and fights Baval again, he loses. He don't lose nothing because he's not a light heavyweight. Baval's sitting on a light heavyweight belt, right? He keeps all of his belt in a super middleweight, right? In which when he when, when Ryder beat Zach Parker, never heard of him, he won the vacant WBO super middleweight belt. Canelo winning this fight takes his WBO belt, but he already had the WBC and the IBF in the super middleweight division. So the other one in this division is what uh, David Benavidez has. Benavidez has a belt too, but it's like, okay, are you going to fight him? Or are you going to sit up here and wait till somebody beats him and then be like, oh, now it's too late for him? Like, stop this, because you don't have that that track record right now to pull that. Because a lot of people are watching you fight people that you should be. And uh, with you losing to Baval or ducking these guys, where these guys are on every social media network trying to make this fight happen, and you're not making this happen, this looks the way that everybody used to clamor about Floyd. I love Floyd. Floyd, to me, is the best boxer ever to me, right? But Floyd had to end the fight in Pacquiao one way or another. A lot of people said it was three, four, five, six years too late, but it ended up happening. Canelo, you are now 32 at this point in time where everybody else is kind of the younger bull underneath you waiting to fight you. What, are you going to wait till you're 40 to try to pull a Floyd? You don't even have the marketable scenery around you like Floyd other than Oscar pulling for you or the zone uh, trying to market you through their brand. But I I don't like as in true boxing fans and purists alike, I don't, I don't think anybody likes what they see right now until you get a big name in front of you and pull it off. It, this this is this is nonsense. This is absolute nonsense. I was mad that Canelo pulled this fight to make this happen. No one knew about him, and um, he ends up winning this one, you know, handily. Took care of his business. I, I can't take it take it away from him. Of course, he's gonna win this fight. But um, Canelo, there's no more smoke that you should be ducking at this point in time in your career. The every fight you should be making right now should be fights that we remember for the rest of your life. From 32 to whenever your career is over, because he's 32 now, let's just say Canelo fights till he's 40. I don't really want to see him fight till 40, but he he has the condition to do it. But let's just say in the next eight years, every fight has to be something that we remember. It can't be him fighting um, Rick Johnson from Wyoming. Like, come on. Like, seriously? Like, that's what you're going to do? Like, no, you can't. You got to go out here and, and, and make this happen. Um, you're not getting away with this one. I'm I'm completely pissed that they set this one up. And this this fight came out of nowhere. Like they weren't even promoting it big. It's just like the last month, of course, they built up the hoorah. We just saw uh, Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis just get into a mega fight, and everybody had their oh well, Ryan Garcia should have got up off the mat, so on and so forth. But at least they made the fight happen. Now they're picking on Garcia saying Oscar don't back him no more. Well, Oscar need to back you and try to make something happen. Like, come on, this sport needs it. That's why a lot of people think UFC is in the same neighborhood or have, you know, eclipsed boxing. I still feel like boxing is still the bigger sport because they don't have payouts like that in the UFC. To me, to me, these guys get millions compared to thousands in the UFC. And and these guys could lose and their career could be over in UFC if they lose a, a big fight. So that's the one thing that, you know, 
the difference between these two networks or sporting venues. But, uh, Mike, anything else before we get away from this? No, man, I think you really encapsulated it. Like, you're 32, not 22. Uh, You are supposed to be at the peak of your career. You want to, you know, try to say that you learned so much after your fight with Floyd and that you are going to take your place as far as, like, one of the best in the game and all this kind of stuff. Well, uh, you know, best fights the best, you know, iron sharpens iron or whatever. So, uh, you know what I mean? Like, so stop playing around with twigs. Like, <laughs> so right. I, I 100% agree with you. Like, if you want to take your place uh, in that upper echelon or, you know, in, in the in the sport of boxing as, like, one of the greats, then you need to be you need to be taking fights that people are going to remember and that people want to see and not <clears throat> just some, like, glitz and glamour, oh, I'm just going to put on a show in front of my home fans and, you know, fight a tomato can. So, uh, you know, to me, the ball's in, the ball's in his court. We'll see what happens against Bavar. Now, if he wins that fight, the question becomes, does he go up and decide to stay up there? Or does he still come back and fight the studs at middleweight, which is what he needs to do uh, to me to cement his legacy. The bounce back of that is the one thing I worry about for Canelo. I'm not going to lie. I'm a Canelo fan. I'm not going to lie. I like his fighting style and his left hook is a, a bomber. If he nails you, he's going to lay you out. But if he goes up to Baval, he fought Baval, and Baval was walking through his power punches. Like, still coming to him and throwing an onslaught and Baval longer. So, like, he was just keeping him at bay, throwing his shots, jabs, and, and straights, and had Canelo up against the ropes, like, really stunned that it was a lot of power inside in front of him. Like, Canelo couldn't do nothing with him. Canelo's going to end up looking like that again. Baval's younger and stronger. He's going to get stronger. Like, what, is he going to sit and loaf? And like, oh, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm not going to try and get better and watch Canelo come up here, gain weight, and beat me? Like, no. Like, I... I don't think so at all, Canelo. Like, you – I don't know what you're going to try to do. I really don't know what you're going to try to do. And you spoke on greats, Mike. He's a middleweight. Do you see him in the likes of Hagler? Is he is he in that name, like, like name frame? Other than the money that he's made, yeah, of course. I don't compare him to Marvin Hagler. Marvin will smoke him, smoke him, and, and walk through him at that. Like, like I – I don't know. This is the way I, I'm an '80s baby, so I saw all of this. So like, so it's different for me. Like, and and Hagler wants to fight everybody. Yeah, right. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. He's saying what I'm saying. He said exactly. He fought what I'm hurt, saying. littered all up Durant. He fought them all. Bleeding from the nose. Come on now. Like this. This ain't the boxing I know. This, this no. And then the, the Leonard Hagler session. The, the Hearns Hagler. Like I'm not Canelo. Not there in either middleweight. I don't. No, cut it off. Nope. Nope. If you want to get into them, the name of them lights, you better start making fights happen now in that fight in September if you really want to fight Baval. And this is the crazy part about the Baval situation. Baval is an undefeated champion. I don't even think he's big out there. Like, he's big because of what he he has a belt, and you got to respect him. And he's a young bull, but compared to the other big names in the sport, I'm talking about in every division, you need to be making these happen up against guys that are, you know, I can't say Baval's not relevant, but it's hard for me to explain it. But this is what I mean. Like, he, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do right now, Canelo, but I do not like what you're up to. Um, and then people picked on Floyd doing this stuff, but Floyd was able to make other fights happen. He fought you. 
He he fought everybody. If you look at Floyd's resume on the people that they said he didn't fight, Floyd fought 19 champions, 19 people, and, and ended a lot of undefeated runs, too, at that. So, like, I don't know. Are you ready to do that? Like, Benavides is undefeated. Um, I, I don't know what he what he want to do. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'm, I'm not going to hang on this. But I want y'all to know y'all can hear it in me. I'm frustrated that this is what Canelo is, is looking like or moving forward. Let me get to the diamond because I do want to talk about the diamond real quick before I get into the meat and potatoes of the show and um, get pretty excited about the end of this show. So let's talk about the diamond. I will start in Mike's wheelhouse first. We'll go National League first. In the National League West, the Dodgers have come out of nowhere, took over first place. They are 20-14. and 14. They are a half game ahead of the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks had an incredible start to the season right now. Hopefully they can maintain it. Again, they're a half game back. San Diego is now 18-16. and 16. They have Tatis Jr. back. He's actually hitting the ball well, too. We will see if they can increase this win total. The San Francisco Giants are 15-17, four games back. And rounding out the bottom is the Colorado Rockies at 13-21. Um, they had an impressive win earlier this week, too. I forget the game that they had, uh, but they pulled off. I didn't think they could pull it out. The Central is what's amazing me right now. The Pittsburgh Pirates are the leader of the division right now, 20-14, and 14, in which they're a game and a half ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers. I potentially think the Brewers can catch them. We will see, and I think that's what it was. I think the Brewers were playing the Rockies, if I'm not mistaken, and the Rockies beat the Brewers. I'd have to look at the scores, but I remember that game. The Chicago Cubs are 17 and 16, sitting two and a half back. The Reds are 14 and 19, five and a half back, and the round out the bottom where I am completely stunned. The St. Louis Cardinals are 10 and 24, 10 games back from the lead. I did not think the Cardinals would start this season struggling this bad. They will potentially be the worst team in this division. I don't see it turning around anytime soon. Um, back to the land of Mr. Harvey. The Atlanta Braves are 23-11, and 11, leading the NL East. They are ahead of the New York Mets, which are 17-17, sitting at 506 games back. The Miami Marlins are 16-18, seven games back. The Philadelphia Phillies are 15-19, eight games back. The return of Bryce Harper is there. He finally got his home run as well. Uh, but they still are struggling at this point in time to be a representative of the National League in the World Series. They're sitting near the bottom of the division. But at the bottom of the division, like a lot of people said, are the Washington Nationals. They're sitting at 13-20, and 20, nine and a half back in the NL East. Um, Mike, anything you want to say before we get away from the NL? Mike, can you hear me? Uh, yeah, I was talking. I was talking on mute. My bad. Um, so, no, nah, I to me like look, look out for the Dodgers, man. Like they, it, it'll be curious to see what they can maintain. As you said, they came out of nowhere. They won six in a row, and now seven out of eight with that split uh, with San Diego. So far, the rubber game is on uh, Sunday Night Baseball in that series. So. You know, you don't see these division opponents as many times. So instead of like six series, you're only getting four. So this is one early series between these two. You hit it, Tatis coming out, hitting the ball. Arizona team still fun to watch. They're supposed to be getting, uh, looks like Corbin Carroll survived an injury. So that's big. Looking in the National League Central, I do believe Milwaukee has the wares to catch Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, they're, 
they're still kind of reeling from that Garrett Mitchell uh, injury. That, that that's a tough injury for him because he really uh, showed some flash early in the season. Then to have a season in, injury and go down. Uh, Pittsburgh started really strong. They've kind of uh, come back down to earth a little bit, uh, having to go, run up against the American League East. And you know we'll get into the American League more in a second, but. Uh, Pittsburgh has had Tampa and Toronto this week. So we'll see how well they maintain. But as of right now, the outlook in Pittsburgh is a lot brighter than it's been in a while. They they do a lot of things right. I mean, they hit the ball hard. They got a lot of guys that run and, you know, challenge things on the bases. So, you know, they kind of got a mixed match of guys in that starting rotation. Some veterans like Rich Hill and Vince Velasquez has been a couple places. Um, so, you know, what can they continue to maintain? It, it'll be fun to watch. And the Cubs have really, you know, listen, you know, TP, you and I, <clears throat> a year and a half ago and more after Rizzo and after Chris Bryant and after all the moves that they made, we're like, I don't understand what this team is doing. Uh, I don't see any direction there. They've really pieced it back together a little bit. They kind of have a solid uh, core of guys now, the Cubs do, and, and you know, putting this thing back together, uh, I think they're going to be around. You mentioned the Cardinals. Listen, you know, a lot of people thought they were going to start hot. They have not. And even though their offense at times has struggled and we haven't seen the vintage performances out of guys like Goldschmidt and Arenado, the big problem with the Cardinals right now has been that starting pitching. They just got Wainwright back yesterday, uh, but this team is really struggling on the mound. And at the end of the day, you got to be able to get people out. So uh, that's, I think St. Louis is going to turn around. They still have plenty of time. I don't think they're going to end up the worst team in the National League. But this, to me, much like the Pittsburgh Pirates are kind of a surprise, uh, this, to me, is probably the biggest disappointment so far this season in all of Major League Baseball is what the St. Louis Cardinals have done. And then you mentioned the East. Uh, Braves want, you know, split the first two games of that Baltimore series. They're playing really, really, really well on the road. Uh, they kind of split even at at 500 so far at home. Uh, Marcelo Suna's bat has woken up, so... Uh, this week, he had this, one of the best games of his life in Miami earlier this week. Uh, but the Braves have gotten most of their uh, pieces back that were hurt uh, early in the season. So they're where they are. The Mets, uh, you know, Verlander just got back this week. Scherzer's still kind of trying to uh, figure it out after his uh, suspension. But you got to figure they're going to be there. Uh, Philly's off to a slow start, but getting Bryce Harper back isn't going to do anything but help them. And then, man, uh, Miami can pitch. They're kind of scrappy. And then the uh, the leader of everybody in hitting is uh, one of my favorite players in baseball, Luis Arias, who I know is near and dear to you uh, as well. So uh, those are kind of my uh, initial thoughts on the National League. And Ronald Acuna was the player of the month for April. He's really, really uh, playing baseball at a very, very high level right now. He looks to be healthy. You know, hitting in the mid 300s, 330, 340 or so, leads the league in stolen bases and is finding a little bit of power as well. So, um, you know, it, it's fun in the National League for sure. Uh, and it'll, there's, I think all three divisions are going to bear watching throughout the year. I don't, I'll be surprised. I don't think anybody's going to run away and hide uh, with any of those divisions. 
Why you why you wanna go ahead and do that to me, huh? You just gotta say his name. He was we were doing okay talking about the teams you wanna talk about. Luis. Like why? Like like and and, and, and I love Jorge Polanco and um where he was our shortstop for a long time, but Carlos Correo came and moved him and they kinda just move Areas all over the place and I feel like they said the odd man out was Areas, but he's an all star too, like don't get me started. I'm about to bump right into these guys anyway. But, Luis, I miss you, man. I wish you could come back somehow, some way, but you're making it happen out there in Miami. Incredible. The one thing about the NL Central before I get away, they are losing like crazy. The Cardinals are on an eight-game losing streak. The Brewers are on a six-game losing streak. The Pirates are on a six-game losing streak. Everybody losing right now in that doggone division. Who Who wants to play? Like, right now, the Cubs are the only one with a two-game winning streak. Everybody else is getting their butts beat. Um, we'll see how this progresses moving forward, but it don't look good um, top to bottom in this division, just to say the least bit. Um, again, like Mike mentioned, with the return of uh, Verlander as well, a lot of people in New York have been waiting for that. Hopefully the Mets can make this interesting, but once again, you already know, the Mets and the Braves have been going at it historically for decades, so... Hopefully this, you know, pans out until they start meeting up and start getting into their, I think it's 19 games now. It used to be 21, but I think it may be 21 games, matchups, and series. So, of course, we'll see. It's if, 13 now. That oh, 13. Okay. This year, so it's only 13 in the division. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see if the Braves still own Shea. And don't forget Chipper Jones' name on his children's Shea, just to, just to be funny. Okay. Now, the American League itself now this is interesting so i'll start first with the west the texas rangers are sitting at at first 19 and 13 they're ahead of the los angeles angels 19 and 15 a game back the Astros are 17 and 16 two and a half back the mariners are 16 and 17 three and a half back the oakland a's are 8 and 26 12 games back uh, one of the one of the worst teams in baseball Sports City, That's I could nail them. It is hard to be that bad, and this is the crazy part. They got players on this team that are actually good. Rooker came from the Twins, and he's actually one of the leaders in the league hitting home runs. He's over there doing damage, and even the people in the Twins market are like, we should never got rid of him because this dude is going crazy in Oakland, and, and Oakland ain't doing nothing with him. <laughs> Oakland, I, I I could do this every week and talk about you, but I'm not. I'm going to leave you alone. You guys are one of the worst teams in baseball, and you deserve it. The AL Central, the Minnesota Twins are 19 and 15, sitting the top in first place. The Detroit Tigers, out of nowhere, have caught up in their 15 and 17, three games back from the Twins. The Twins are in a rubber match game today up against the Cleveland Guardians, 15 and 18. The Guardians are three and a half back. Chicago White Sox are 11 and 23. They're eight games back and tied for the worst record in baseball. Are the Kansas City Royals? They're eight and 26, along with the Oakland A's at this point in time. Um, the one thing about this, I didn't think the Tigers would turn this thing around. They made this thing interesting right now. They are on a five-game winning streak. Um, again, like I said, the rubber match between the Twins and the Guardians. We've been going at it with them since the beginning of the series. Excuse me, the beginning of the season, not the series, but this series right here. They just went one-one. Rocco got ejected yesterday, and Sonny Gray had the best ERA in the ML MLB, and, and they shelled them yesterday. So it, it's going to happen, especially when batters are you know taking it 
upon themselves to try and conquer you. And um, Sonny had a bad outing, but the Twins fought back to make it interesting, but ended up losing that game uh, four to three. I watched it from top to finish, and um, pretty pretty mad because of the division rivalry. That's just me personal being a fan. I'm being a fan. I'm being a fan. Okay, and in the AL East, the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. 27-7, very impressive. A lot of people that I know thought that they would slow down. They are not. They are a complete machine. They are in a rubber match today, though, up against the Yankees. The Baltimore Orioles have turned things around. They're 22-11, four-and-a-half back from the Rays. The Boston Red Sox, probably one of the hottest teams in baseball, if not they are, 21-14, six-and-a-half back. They are. They have an eight-game winning streak at this point in time. The Blue Jays are 20-14, seven games back. And to round out the bottom of the AL East, the fan in me is loving this. But analytically, I'm scratching my head. The New York Yankees are 18 and 16, nine games back from the Rays. Mike, your thoughts on the AL and the runs that are going on now? So the American League East right now is – by far the best division in baseball. Every team in that division is over 500. And then I was looking through, like, the individual stats, TP average and all this kind of stuff, and I think I saw something like eight of the top ten guys in base hits in the American League are in that American League East. Uh, And just looking up and down the leaderboards, average home runs, base hits, it's so dominated by the East. Now, you got guys from other divisions, don't get me wrong. But if you just look, you know, in your on your standings update and, like, in the individual categories, just looking through it, I wouldn't surprise you to see that, uh, you know, how good the American League East has been. So right now, uh, the other thing I would say is, uh, you know, Twins doing their thing. Pablo Lopez really good for April. He's kind of struggled a little bit the last couple of days, uh, last couple of times out. Agree with you on Sonny Gray. You know, Chandler and I told people about the Rangers going into this season. Right now, uh, the Angels are are competitive. We'll see if they can maintain uh, this whole thing. Houston is finally starting to get some guys back in this next road trip, but they've also lost a couple starting pitchers in that rotation. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, Michael Brandley and Chaz McCormick supposed to be back uh, in the next road trip. They could have Jose Altuve back by the end of the month. So they're starting to get uh, some of their offensive weapons back. But now you've got injuries to Urquidy and uh, and Luis Garcia in that rotation. So they're having to call up some more kids. So their depth and uh, their starting pitching is really going to be tested uh, here over the next uh, – week or two, so we'll see what what Houston's got in reserves. You know, Houston, Seattle, both right there, not far off the playoff pace, kind of what we sort of thought coming in. It looks like you got four teams in the West. Uh, as of right now, four or five teams in the East, and then whoever comes out of the Central uh, right now is the teams contending for those, what, six playoff spots now in, uh, in baseball. So, uh, you know, it, it it's interesting. Shohei's doing uh, Shohei's doing his thing. Uh, Cleveland has had some injuries to their pitching staff as well. 
and the White Sox have just not been uh, not been very good either. You mentioned the Tigers, man. A, a guy that has really, really jumped off the page at me uh, with his performance so far this year. We've seen him in Boston. We saw him over in Detroit the last couple of years, and he kind of struggled. But look at the numbers, and uh, Edwin Rodriguez has really been very, very good uh, for Detroit uh, so far this season. And kind of what they hoped he would be is a guy to sort of stabilize that uh, rotation. They got the better of the Mets midweek this week, and uh, I think they've won the first two games of that series against uh, against St. Louis. So the Tigers are playing pretty good ball. And they got an LSU boy closing it down at the back end of the bullpen and Alex Lang. So uh, you also mentioned Tampa. Right now, best team in the game. Started 13-0. and Now, what are they, 26-6 and or something? So uh, still playing some really, really good ball. Um, they've, once again, had a couple injuries on their pitching staff as well. But if any team somehow can find a way to uh, absorb these injuries and keep pushing, it's uh, Tampa. And then the last thing I'll say is that offense in Toronto – is really mashing. Jose Barrios, former twin, uh, been around to a couple other places, but he looks like he's starting to settle down. If Toronto can pitch uh, at all, they're going to be there in that playoffs discussion. He's really been watching baseball. He even know about Lopez struggling in, in Minnesota. As soon as he signed that contract, it's like everybody jumped on him too. Um, the crazy thing about the Rays, and this is what made me mad the other day, uh, Rosa Reina hit a bomb, and I didn't know his celebration is what probably could have caused this. Uh, Rosa Reina hit a home run in the game against the Yankees. When he's come, when he's rounding third, he stops on third base, stands on the bag, and folds his arm and looks at the third base coach and then goes home. His next at bat, they beam him. His next at bat, they beamed him again. They beamed him twice. So the Yankees knew what they were doing. They knew what they were doing, and um, they wanted to get the pitcher out and, um, like, thrown out. But it, it's a Rosarina. I, I, I respect the gangster because you, you bring in the fun, the baseball, but you know pitchers don't want to be shown up. That's the one thing in baseball they do not want to have happen. But, again, and plus it's the Yankees, too. So you know everybody's trying to show off and everybody watching. But the one thing about the Yankees right now, I know they cannot wait for Tuesday to get here at all. They cannot wait for Tuesday because this is when Judge is supposed to return after being on the I.L. Um, him outside of the lineup, I, I feel like it makes the Yankees so vulnerable. They can lose games left and right. His appearance in that lineup makes them that much stronger. Like it, I, I feel like they're shaky on any given night right now at this point in time. And um, they they need him severely. Judge Judge really is the MVP. He really is the MVP. Another thing about um, another conversation in the AL that I wanted to throw out there, just to get this over my chest, I've been saying it. Um, they better figure out what they're gonna do with Shohei. They gotta. Um, Trout is getting four hundred. Shohei's worth that. Shohei Otani's worth that type of money. I want to see how they try to handle it and throw him like a hundred, two hundred. And if his agent's like, nope, we're gonna get more. Shohei's gonna be gone. I, I do not think he's going to last in Anaheim. I don't think he's going to be an angel. If if And if they do pay him the money that he's worth, they're going to be playing with Little League kids from your, your local neighborhood Little League. They, they can't afford anybody if those two are soaking up damn near a billion dollars. If those two are pulling that type of money and they can't do nothing. The angels are in trouble 
at this point in time. So they better enjoy the season right now as much as they possibly can. Go on the run and get to the postseason and see what y'all can do because I don't think the dynamic of these two lasts, let alone you better hope on pins and needles that Trout stays healthy all season long because it's, it's happened every single season. At least for the past four or five seasons, something happens to one of the best players in baseball, hitter and fielder. And Mike Trout, I love the kid. I love the way he played baseball, but he can't stay he can't stay out there on the field. Um now I want to get to the round ball that's going on in the USA. Um I don't even know how to start this which series, which team. Like they all got crazy storylines at this point in time. All right. So first <laughs> He wants me to go to South Beach. Okay, so we'll we'll take it to South Beach. Fine. The Miami Heat are now up 2-1 on the New York Knicks. They stole game one in New York. The Knicks fought back for game two to get that when they go to South Beach, lose this game three while Jimmy Butler sat out after rolling his ankle game one, sat out game two, but came back game three, and they blitzed the Knicks. Bad, right? Blew them out. Now, to be honest to me, I think the Knicks are in big trouble. Big trouble. The aura of being in Miami in May is is that atmosphere that they're already on vacation. The Knicks got to trap themselves in a hotel and put blinders on, like put them in all dark bubbles. Don't let them see outside. Like they're feeling like free. Like and Miami's used to this. Like they like we live this. And let alone we're playing with so much house money. Like we're billionaires at this point in time. And like the. The chip on their shoulder can be Udonis Haslam's last season, the one that's been a part of all three of their championship runs with Dwayne Wade, all three of them. And um, this will be icing on the cake to at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals, at least. Eric Spolstra, I think I said this Wednesday night, you got to be the best coach in the NBA right now, right now. Um, I know Pop's name is there because Pop's relevance was from 97 to – 2016, 2017, once Tim left, it was over. You don't hear about Pop no more. Pop's hoping to get a first pick to get win beyond, but you know, to kind of stretch out his career. I don't think that happens. You better hope that lottery falls in your way. Uh, You better hope it does. Spolster's been able to do it with the pieces that he has, regardless of what's going on. For this team to be an eighth seed right now, it probably looking like the strongest team in the Eastern Conference right now. This is incredible. This is incredible that Spolster was able to get this out of the players that he had. Picture him other than Jimmy Butler having another star or superstar. If it, other than Jimmy Butler, picture Bam is a, a star. I'm not giving him superstar. Who else? Gabe Vincent? Really? Struess? Who? who? Kyle Lowry at 30, 37, 38? Who? And they are beating up on the Knicks, and the Knicks have been hot throughout the regular season and coming into this situation before the season, this series started, they were doing well, especially where they beat Cleveland. Everybody, you got to see the aura out here in the Tri-State. Everybody going crazy for the Knicks. Now that the Knicks are losing to the Heat, everybody has come to a hush at the end of their seat, praying that they could pull it off game four to bring this thing back to the garden tied up. This is a very interesting situation. I feel bad for the Knicks because the Heat are not only – knowing what they're in front of in game four. They know that they don't want to go back to New York tied up and risk going back to Miami 3-2. Like, they got to go in there and put all the pressure on the Knicks for game five to be like, if we win this, y'all stay right here. We going around. 
and they just beat the Bucks and everything. I'm stuck talking about the Heat. Mike, your thoughts on what's going on with Miami? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm apologizing. Man, listen, people wanted to completely discount what happened in the bubble. Uh, But Jimmy Butler showed you, like, when he really rises to another level, Jimmy Buckets can carry a team on his back, and he can be a legit leader for a franchise. And he's doing it again. Listen, you beat the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, and then you got the coach fired because you beat him so bad. Uh, And this is a coach that just came off a championship two years ago. And now he's, uh, now he's in the unemployment line. So, uh, you know, looking at, and I don't wish that on anybody, but that's just what happened. Those are facts. And so uh, now you go in, they get game one in New York, like you said, uh, brother sits out game two, the Knicks come back and we got villain. Shout out to villain, the Knicks fan. Uh, and I think Sirius may be a Knicks fan too, but I'm not 100% sure on that, but villains all excited thinking, no, seriously, the Rockets fan, never mind. But Villain's all excited, thinking, uh, you know, we're back in the series, we back, baby, and all this. I'm like, hey, you guys forget that he just got home court advantage from you guys. And then they come out in in game three, and, I mean, listen, they just spanked him, you know. Like, um, they, they put it on him. In the first half, they had a good lead. I heard even uh, – People saying, well, the Knicks are going to come out. They came out of the locker room looking all aggressive, trying to turn up the defense on them. It didn't matter. Listen, 19 points dismissed smoothly. So, um, you know, this is going to be a recurring theme for me as we go through these series. But game four is really pivotal, right? Can Miami win at home, which they should, and take a stranglehold on this series with New York going back to, you know, MSG down 3-1? Uh, for the Knicks, you better do all the adjusting you need to do, Tom Thibodeau, all these guys, because if you don't win game four, um, it's going to be an early exit. But, and listen, the number one seed goes down. So this is your path to the Eastern Conference Finals. But uh looks like that. Jimmy Bucket and Miami, Jimmy Buckets and Miami is in the way, and I think this is going to be too steep a hill to climb for the New York Knicks. Uh, I expect Miami to continue to take care of business and come out of this series. But uh, it, it, to your point, Eric Spoelstra and this team, uh, what a what a great coach he is. And you know, people forget this team lost to Atlanta in the first of the two play-ins. They had to play two games just to get into this thing. And then they rudely dispatched Milwaukee, and now they uh, got home court back from the Knicks and uh, ready for uh, ready for game four to try to put a stranglehold on this series. But like you said, Jimmy Butler's uh, the leader and the big star. And bam, yeah, we'll call him a star, but I agree with you, not a superstar. And then it's just uh, a cast of thousands with him, but they'll find a way to get it done, and uh, I wouldn't bet against them. Yeah, um, this is the one thing about Miami. However your series goes, of course they're going to be the the lower seed. They're going to have to come in and play those first two games on the road. You cannot let them steal a game, one or two. They can't. You can't. They steal game one or two. They are in control of that series, and they have the edge to win the series if they got home court advantage at that point in time. Miami, at this point in time, a lot of people are thinking about the end of the season and trying to go relax. Some people are they've got eyes on the prize and trying to bring the championship back. 
but to go to Florida and try to play in that environment, and now that they got something to believe in, if they're all white in that white heat situation, that crowd is revving, and it's just something about the aura in that building that they, they come out and respond for them and supposed to get the best out of these guys. I don't know what he does. Like, does he put on a Mickey mask and start playing Eye of the Tiger and having these dudes feeling like Rocky? Because they really come out and play this type of ball. I really got to give the Heat their credit for them to get rid of the bugs. And just like Mike said, Mike hit a home run fact talking about Budenholzer not not being on the team anymore, coaching that team. He just won a championship a few years ago. They got rid of him because of the the job that he did coaching against this Heat team when he had the up. And it's like, well, you can't do this job without Giannis. When you guys are taking care of everybody else across the board, the Bucks are looking for, I guess, greener pastures. But that's one question that I do have for their management and people upstairs. I don't I don't think that's fair at all. At all. The Heat, the heat just came out and survived your storm, especially with Giannis being out two games. Like, I, I don't know what they expected. But, hey, Miami, I tip my hat. And to Italy, if you hear me, I'm apologizing. Butler really is that guy. I'm sorry. I am. Okay, so the Philadelphia 76ers and the Celtics, this has now gotten interesting. The Sixers have stole game one in the series. The Celtics have stole the last two, in which historically for the Celtics, if they go up 2-1 in the series, they're like 44-5. and I seen that number. I was like, geez, the Sixers are in trouble. They do have to come out and play well. Uh, for this game four. If not, they are going to get beat in this series, and I feel like it is going to happen. I feel like it's going to happen. Um, and B just won the MVP. Harden tried to wake this team up after they won game one. He's like, y'all getting too hyped for winning one game. It's one game, and he's dead right because now the Celtics have that eye of a champion to fight them back even on the road and get that home court right back in their favor and uh, put the Sixers – on note that they better come out and play game four or it could get ugly going back to Boston game five. Um, Mike, your thoughts on this series with the Celtics now leading 2-1, still in game three in Philly. You know, once again, this is a, a real interesting series to me in that the Sixers go into Boston and they win game one without Embiid. James Harden with a vintage performance, put up 45. Uh, the ball moved really well. Some people thought maybe Embiid shouldn't have played in game two. He was kind of a shell of himself. He played pretty well in game three, but it just looks stagnant to me. Uh, you know, Boston's a weird team to me in that uh, they can play really good and look like the best team in the league at times. And then at other times they just they get careless with the basketball and it's like, who are these guys? Like very, very Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, but Boston got home court back in this series. This is definitely a must-win for Philly in game four. And even still, uh, you know, Boston still has the home court and would have two of the last three at home. So uh, I can understand dropping game two. Uh, but once you drop game three as well, uh, I think it's a, it's going to be a steep hill to climb for the Philadelphia 76ers. They've gone a long time without getting that monkey off their back and being able to, I mean, it's been a lot of frustration uh, for the city of brotherly love against the Boston Celtics in the playoffs and in the postseason. Uh, this is one of the oldest rivalries in the league and it looks like it's going to go Boston's way again, but Hey man, like, listen, Philly fans show up in numbers, go to Boston, 
But before you go, reach out to phiapparel.co, use the promo code CHEFS at checkout, and uh, and get your Philly wear to, to represent because you still got a chance. But uh, I, I don't like your odds right now. Look at the plug. Look at the plug. Um, Again, I just like he said, it has been going down to Philly from – how do I start this? From the Phillies losing the World Series, from the Eagles losing the Super Bowl, the Sixers watching them be getting MVP, and they're looking like they may be on an early out if they don't pull this out game four to tie this series up and save face. If not, the Celtics have it their way in this series. And the crazy part about this is, I'm going to say this here and now, I was saying this and got into a big argument this week, Jalen Brown is better than Jason Tatum. I'm saying it. Tatum is the face of the team, the more marketable one. When it comes down to it, they go to number seven immediately. Immediately. Even though Tatum could go for the ball, they're going to bring the ball to him because he's the name. Jalen Brown is the guy, if the the shot clock's running down, they're giving the ball, tell him to take the shot. Wherever he had to take a turnaround fadeaway three because Tatum gave him the ball with like two seconds on the clock because Tatum couldn't make anything happen. And he almost hit it. Like it went in and out. It was like he really had to do a 360 three-point shot from the corner. It was like, are you serious? Like this, this is what it is. Jalen Brown, I feel sorry for you because you're not going to get the full money you, you're worth, but you're going to get paid. I just hope that they do keep you in Boston because everybody for years didn't think that this was going to work out with the two of you together. It's working, but they need to give you more credit than what you're getting right now. Jalen Brown, I tip my hat to you. Keep doing your job. Um, bad situation happened in that game when MB stepping on Grant Williams' head and, you know, kind of matching his, his face into the, the, uh, the, you know, the ground or whatever. But um, they still pulled that out. Um, the next series, then we're going to close up after that next series too. But um, I'm worried about this one. And this is the Nuggets now visiting the Suns. The Nuggets are up 2-1 after taking care of business at home. The Suns are having to survive without Chris Paul for not just game three, not just for game four, but also game five. Chris Paul is out for those three games in which the Suns pulled it off game three, but they needed a damn near 50-point performance from Booker and KD finally came out and played and almost put up 40. You had 47 from Booker, 39 from KD. They combined for 86 together to pull this game out. Can they continue to do this, let alone they're going to keep going to Colorado where the air is thinner? They, they're going to get tired up there. So they have to at least survive this next game at home and pull this out and then go to game five and do what they can without Chris Paul before Chris Paul returns. Mike, your thoughts on this series as the Nuggets have been one of the more interesting stories in the Western Conference, but the Suns are not leaving just yet. No, you know, I was going to say, you, you look at the MVP race and all the guys that we talked about in the MVP, and I know Tatum was talked about as a distant fourth, but out of the top three in the MVP race, the only one that's legitimately, like, legitimately right now looking like he's got a chance to be around um, into the conference finals is Joker, right? Um I was impressed with Denver early on. They really took care of business against Minnesota. They played really well in the first two games of this series. That home court advantage, too, in Denver is something different. With that altitude, like you said, uh, Phoenix showed you the recipe for them to be able to win. Devin Booker has been very good in this postseason. Uh, There are times that 
I felt like that uh, Devin Booker has sort of shied away from big moments at times, but he has been pretty good in this postseason. And Booker and Durant are going to have to carry this team, and they got to get uh, eight and some easy buckets inside uh, to be able to push. I still am uh, like have a lot of questions about the depth of this Phoenix Suns team, but they are top heavy. And so uh, there are times that Booker and Durant can look like the best players on the floor and they're going to have to uh, for three of these next four, right. In order for them to, uh, to get out of this series. Can they do it? I don't necessarily love their chances, but, and then the other thing that you mentioned in this series, okay, let's see. Um, Summer comes after spring, and if NBA playoffs are in May, water is wet. Chris Paul got hurt in the playoffs uh, every year. I don't know right. what happened. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm just going to claim it. I think the city of New Orleans, you know, when he, uh, when he started, like, really dogging on them when they went with the Pelicans' name, and with the way some of that happened when he first left New Orleans, I don't know. Maybe they put, maybe they slipped a uh, maybe they slipped a little voodoo doll in his trailer when he left. I'm not sure, uh, but Chris Paul has, uh, you know, for all the regular season success that he's had and for all the accolades that he's had, um, he has always seemed to sort of shy away from that moment in the playoffs. And I know you can't always help it, you know, when injuries happen, but it's just like, it's every year. It's not every other year. It's not two out of three years or two out of four. It seems like every single year, uh, CP3 has uh, some sort of uh, system failure uh, come playoff time. And it's happened again. And, you know, they say out through at least game five, depending on the extent of this growing injury, like even if he does come back later in this series, is he going to be at full strength? Is he going to be a shell of himself? Is he going to sort of favor it? So to me, like, listen, you know, you early in your career, you were Russell Westbrook's, Russell Westbrook's dance partner. Now campaign, you got to show up and, and do the best you can in this series. You don't have to score a lot. You need to facilitate some, but sometimes man, just, uh, you know, try to play a little defense and, and hold it down for these other guys. I think that Denver is probably uh, probably the better team, uh, but they're they're playing at a pretty high level. But you know, listen, high volume scores like Booker and Durant, if they can get hot and continue to maintain, they can keep it really really interesting. But to me, the stars still favor Denver in this series. Of course, Jamal Murray is on another level. This dude has been absolutely going crazy. Um, Jokic is having his way with Aiton. Like, uh, for Aiton to be as good as he is, it, he just looks befuddled in front of Jokic, and Jokic really puts that confusing situation on a lot of bigs. The only one that plays him well is Embiid, kind of. So, like, Aiton's going to have to do his best to defend them and at least give them anywhere from 12 to 16 points. If he can get them 12 to 16 points, seven rebounds, the Suns are all right. They are all right. But um, they still need more from everybody else. But they, I don't think they can get 100 points out of KD and Booker again. That's a lot. 86 is 14 points away from 100. Like, they, they're doing everything. 
they are doing everything. I mean, they can, but one thing about KD, it took him a long time to get started. KD's actually getting defended. Like, and that's one thing that I don't like about KD at this point in time. It's like you're watching Booker go crazy, and you're like, okay, I'll be the off guy. Like, stop that because you're just as good. Go crazy too. Like, what are we doing here? But I get it. It's Booker's team, and you came halfway through the season, but they all know what they're dealing with right now. The point that you hit with Chris Paul is amazing that Chris Paul has been injured in a lot of the runs where they're expecting him to do well or be in a situation where he can try and get his first championship, and he's the one to let down on the team. It's not the team. Whether he was with the Clippers getting hurt, whether he was with Houston getting hurt, or now look at this situation going on right here in Phoenix. When they were in the, the finals, he got hurt in the finals against the Bucks, and he was getting tired. He couldn't even get up the court in front of Drew Holiday. He was giving the ball to Booker because he couldn't shake Holiday. So, like, Chris, I don't know what's going to happen, but they need you now, and they need the Chris that has a fire in his eye to try to get his first championship. Um, they picked on Nash. They picked on all the other point guards that did get a championship. Chris Paul, you are in the conversation. Forget ducking it. You are in the conversation of good point guards that can't bring one back. And this may hurt you. Um, last but not least, and this is to make Michael happy, the Battle of California. Golden State, the defending champions, going up against La La Land, Hollywood, Lakerville. And um, this is going crazier than I, well, not to say as I thought, but I kind of felt that this dynamic was setting up to happen. The Lakers have too much on the floor for the Warriors. Um, The Warriors are going to need Steph to continue to go crazy, which can happen at any given moment. Somebody else has to step up, and Clay had a game, but Clay has to do this every night. It can't just be his wait for game six to go crazy. He had a game earlier in the series, but then he fades away. It's always something with Clay, and then out of nowhere, when he's taking everything serious, it's like, watch out, Clay's on fire. Steph needs help. The way that they lost last night, I'm, I'm baffled that the Warriors lost by 30 at this point in time. The one thing that I see is, they don't have anybody to defend LeBron and AD. And this is the dynamic that the Lakers do have. As bad as the Lakers struggled from the beginning of the season, coming into the year 2023, struggling to make it happen, they got to that trade deadline and made the right moves for players to play their role and not be egotistical to be like, well, I'm just as good as these guys, and it's working now. And they feed the right person at the right time. They're all knocking down shots. D'Angelo Russell has actually been a major peg in this situation. And they're playing with house money, but I feel like they're just as rich as the the Warriors at this point in time. Steve Curry, Steve Kerr, don't even have to be out coached. It's just the fact that there's more star superstars on the floor for the Lakers that the the Warriors can't handle at this point in time. Plus, they are showing their fatigue at this point in time. And the bad thing about the Warriors is that they can't play on the road. And the way that they lost last night shows it, it shows real bad that the Lakers are gonna go back to San Francisco 3-1. That that was a clear defeat. They if you really think Draymond is going to deal with AD, I I don't think so. I don't think so. Then it's like who you got Wiggins dealing with LeBron and LeBron ain't even trying to put that effort to go crazy on him yet. So this this is a mud mess for the Warriors. I I know the Lakers fans are like love this, but the one thing I can't wait to say the Lakers fans once it starts panning out, you guys are LeBron fans. That's the funny part. They are going to be LeBron fans now 
as much as they did want to say it at the first point when he got there, the way that he's been able to turn this around, they are going to love LeBron sooner than later. Mike, your thoughts on how your boys are putting this together at the right time? You know, listen, fan or not of LeBron James, like once he went to the Lakers, you got to support him because, you know, I've been a Lakers fan 35 years, bro. Like, you know, since the Magic Kareem Showtime days. Um, You know, you just hit on something in a lot of ways. The Lakers are playing with house money. For a lot of this year, the question was going to be, can they even make the play in? Well, they did. They took care of business, and they got, you know, through Memphis. Um, They did – they were able to somehow find a way to remake this roster at the trade deadline. They definitely have more complementary pieces. You you know, guys like D'Angelo Russell, who you just mentioned, you know, Austin Reeves, even Delaney Walker came out, had a good game last night. Um, Looking at this team – they have pieces that fit a little bit better than they have at any time over the last couple of seasons. <clears throat> but looking at this series, I mean, it's really a contrast of styles. Uh, the Warriors run you ragged, shoot the three, spread things out. Uh, the Lakers, you know, need to live in the paint. They need to be more physical. And they were physical and kind of bully balled them last night and kind of beat them up. Uh, but so looking at the series, Lakers find a way to get out of game one and take home court. Uh, advantage away from Golden State and then Golden State did their thing in game two. That's when Clay, you know, went off and had the kind of game you were just talking about. They went by 25. So to me, last night was huge uh, for the Lakers because LeBron's been there. Anthony Davis has only been there once in the bubble. Uh, but you got a, and, and Schroeder's been pretty good for them, by the way. But you got uh, a lot of guys on this team. Uh, Vanderbilt and others that are young and that hadn't really been there before, so there could have been a, oh, here we go kind of thing. Um, so the Lakers really bounced back and and punched back last night and won huge that game, kind of got away from Golden State really in the second quarter. And then on into the third, the Lakers were able to put together a run. D'Angelo Russell hit some shots. And another guy that has been really big for the Lakers is Rudy Hachimura. Uh, in these first couple rounds. But I I say all that to say, you know, this is a series of adjustments. uh, So we'll see what kind of adjustments are made. Uh, You know, I definitely, as a Lakers fan, feel good about this series right now. But I also recognize the importance of game four because uh, for all the great work that the Lakers have done uh, in games one and three, they did not look good in the second game. I know that Golden State is not as good on the road, though they were able to pull out two uh, road wins in that last series when they needed them uh, because that's what champions do, right? you got to knock them out. Uh, and so the Lakers landed, a, got a knocked down last night, but until this series is over and the Lakers win four games, they haven't knocked them out yet. Uh, so game four, huge game tomorrow night. The Lakers, you got to be able to double down. I'm not saying you got to win by 30, obviously, but you got to find a way one way or the other to have more points on the board at the end of the night and take a 3-1 series lead. I think that's going to be critical for them to win this series. If somehow Golden State finds a way to scratch back and win game four, then all bets are off because then it's the best two out of three with two of those games being in San Francisco. So uh, I like the position that the Lakers are in right now, uh, but they really, really have to win 
game four to solidify this. I did not see the Lakers, especially before the trade deadline. Once the deadline happened and I saw how this roster was looking, they were actually playing some good ball. But then once again, you had the injury to LeBron James, Anthony Davis banged up. What else is new? Um, and they were able, but they, they still played decent ball down the stretch to at least make sure they, you know, got a seat at the table and got a chance to get in when there were plenty of times <clears throat> over this past season uh, that they were on the outside looking in. So in a lot of ways, I do think they're playing with house money. I don't think they want to hear that right now. Uh, they believe that they should be able to win this series, and I think they can, but game four is extremely pivotal pivotal for for the Lakers. They have to double down and win that game and go up 3-1. Pivotable, okay. I like it. I like it. I'm going to try that word some other day, pivotable. But either way, right, I really feel like the Lakers have this in control. I don't see what adjustments Golden State can do to steal game four. I don't know what other than Steph going crazy. But the one thing about one thing you said is Schroeder is pesky enough to bother Steph. It's doing just enough to make Steph work for those shots. Steph can be incredible to hit shots, but he's playing good enough defense to make those pressure shots for Steph. Like, Steph can hit those shots. Yes, he can, but he's working for him. It ain't like, oh, I'm setting my feet up and hitting this three because I got the right space. And no, he's coming off the screens and having to hurry up and get it up because Schroeder's just as quick. So it's interesting that they have somebody that's pesky enough to deal with him. Um, I really feel bad for uh, Russell Westbrook because this run that the Lakers are on is really making the Lakers look – well, not making the Lakers look – making Russell Westbrook look like the cancer. Um, every team that he's gone to, he hasn't fit. The teams have declined since he's been there. He goes away, they do well. And this happened midseason. For the way that the Lakers were starting the season out, they did not look like they were going to be impressive. Now they get rid of him and get players to play their role, to have a right point guard run the show and take shots when need be instead of, you know, trying to force the delivery and force scoring and trying to, you know, make this all about that person. This is making Russ look bad. Um because as soon as they unloaded them, they turned into a powerhouse in the West when they should have already been a powerhouse. Russ is a top 75 player all time. And even with him going to the Clippers, he had a good standing with the Clippers because he's trying to shoulder this with Kawhi and PG being out, but it didn't work. A lot of people thought the Clippers were going to be in the Western Conference Finals. It didn't work. I feel bad for Russell at this point in time. But nevertheless, shout out to what the Lakers have been able to do. They have the Warriors on their heels at this point in time. I don't know if the Warriors get back to San Francisco tied up 2-2. I think they're facing a 3-1 deficit. And um, Purple and Gold is running the state right now. <laughs> Steph, they're going to need the game four from last year's final up against the Celtics. They're going to need that for you guys to tie this thing up. I know it's tiring. I know you're getting older. But what do you, you, you're hoping for Draymond to get you 11 to 12 points? I don't know. Wiggins can try to score. That can happen, but Clay's inconsistent, and everybody else is trying to come out there and make things happen on the floor, and they're not a guarantee. So I, I feel bad at this point in time for the Golden State Warriors. They can end up leaving by game five. I say game five, they can end up leaving. Okay, Mike, Um, that's pretty much all I got. Anything else that you'd like to address before we do get away from here? Yeah, real quick. So there's a lot of talk about, you know, I appreciate what LeBron James does for this team. 
Uh, but the head of the snake for the Lakers is Anthony Davis, and a lot of ways on the defensive end as well. Like, he's really played good defense and kind of anchored that defense. Saw all kinds of talk the last couple of years about how he doesn't like to play the five. Well, I don't know. They finally got him convinced because that's where they need him. Um, but, you know, uh, he got going. He had a really good offensive game uh, last night as well. In game two, early on, he was trying fadeaways and whatever else. And I'm like, dog, you're not MJ. You're not Kobe. Stop trying to shoot these little fadeaways. If you what, Like, once you get the shot going or whatever, or once you've hit them in the mouth a few times and you've seen the ball go in, then if you want to start fading away, fine. But on the offensive end, you either need to face up and shoot that from 10 feet off or go ahead and take a couple steps and flush it. But I want to see uh, – Anthony Davis really hit them in the mouth on the on the offensive end too because the Warriors just can't deal uh, with that size. The Lakers gonna should be able to move in the paint and score and not get sucked into a three point shooting contest and just kind of pick their spots. Well, like I said, Game Four is uh, it's huge somehow, some way. Whatever you need to do though, uh, they need to, they need to hold these guys together and somehow. Uh, somehow keep Anthony Davis uh, healthy, uh, as healthy as possible, as healthy as anybody can be um, at this point late in the season. But, you know, to your point, uh, Clippers uh, Clippers excited about how many games in a row they've won over the Lakers. <clears throat> well, that's about the closest they're coming to a championship right now. Uh, Sacramento, very, uh, very good season. Pushed Golden State to seven, but weren't able to win that series. So, this series is for the uh, title of the best team in California this season. And then, you know, obviously whoever comes out of it is going to have to deal with uh, being the road team and uh, that Denver home court advantage. So uh, we will see. But, you know, we, we talked about it, TP, leading up to these playoffs, that it was going to be some must-see basketball and something that we were looking forward to see. And all I can say is so far, uh, the NBA postseason has not really disappointed. We've had some uh, some interesting things happen. And listen, if you had your popcorn ready for the postseason, as as well as it's been going, then uh, you probably ran out. So go ahead and pop some more. Get some more ready. We got two games today, and two tomorrow. So strap it up and let's go. TP, if you're talking, you're talking on mute. I sure was, because I'm up here answering a text. Everybody out there, I'm going to stop this now, because I'm actually going crazy texting California. I'm getting messages from California at this point in time talking about keep up the Laker talk. I love this. Keep going. No. I don't even want you to fall in love with me talking about the Lakers at all. Nope, it's gonna stop right now. <laughs> Let me cut it out. I mean, but I'm, I'm I gotta give credit where credit due. I love the sport like crazy, and um, I and this is what I really hope for in the West, like for it to be competitive next round Western Conference, because I feel like the Warriors are gonna lose. I don't think this goes to Game Seven at all. I don't think so. But um, either way, the Suns or the the Nuggets. I really don't want to see the Nuggets and the Lakers because the Nuggets will lose because I feel like uh, Jokic always has a problem dealing with Anthony Davis. But the way that the Nuggets have been playing, they have been playing very well. But I know that the NBA wants to see KD and LeBron go at it. I know they would love to see that happen. So 
this is this is the one thing that I know we're at the edge of our seat hoping for it to go down that way. I would love to see the Nuggets get there and put up a fight and, and go to the NBA Finals. I doubt that happens, but if it does, please, Jokic, be the MVP that we all thought that you could pull in the third for the third year and um, be able to deal with Anthony Davis. But it's a lot because Anthony Davis is healthy, and he's actually believing in what he's bringing to the table. So this makes it very tough for you guys outside of this series. But nevertheless, I don't want to count the Suns out. That's the more, the more appealing series to me. I'm hoping that he can do their thing and stop and shock the Knicks. But game four means everything in this situation. Hopefully this, the Heat can take care of that. And um, the Celtics and the Sixers, man, it, NBA is at a premium right now. Uh, Mike, I need a plug, closeout, shout-out, anything that you like to promote as we get ready to shut this thing down here at the Bunch. Man, you know, I just saw the news come down. Rest in peace, Vita Blue. Long-time baseball great uh, passes this morning. So uh, rest in peace on him. Uh this in Kentucky Derby was yesterday. Uh, you had a horse that only raced three times to win that thing. So uh, Mage is the name. We'll see if there's a triple crown. But there's a big dark cloud over uh, over horse racing with all those uh, horses that, that were euthanized this week. So, uh, you know, hopefully they can figure that out. But not a good look for the sport. As always, TP, man, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to uh, do this with you on Sunday mornings. Uh, it's uh, a staple of my weekend and something that I very much every week look forward to. Uh, and y'all know what it is, sportscitychefs.com. Check out the blog, the websites, everything we got going on. Um, we had a couple of uh, mock drafts. Hadn't got a chance to talk with TP yet about what his Lions did in the draft, so hopefully we'll, uh, we'll do that real soon. Uh, but we had a couple mock draft episodes, and we had a recap. Talk, talk, about talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. You want to talk about it? Talk about it. Go ahead. Talk about it. Tell, tell, me no, what you think, tell me what you think about the line. Tell me. Come on. So, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I, I like what you guys did, and I know there was a lot of scrutiny on some of those picks, uh, but I think uh, Gibbs is an explosive back uh, in the first round. You know, a lot of people kind of uh, – Shrugging at that pick of uh, of Campbell, but I think this guy has a, a chance to be a, a linebacker to really be a presence in, you know, on a defense for a long period of time. <clears throat> but just looking at everybody else that the Lions grabbed in this draft, man, I think they got a lot of pieces uh, that are really going to help them moving forward. I, I think that they solidified themselves as the favorite in the NFC North. I know a lot of people kind of were left scratching their heads with some of the, the draft picks that they made, but I think the Lions did a nice job in this draft. Okay, so Sports City, he's been waiting to hear me talk about these dudes and not I um this is me and I'm I'm gonna get this is getting kinda of personal now. Um I like the draft. I don't love it because it gets you hype about the season. And um I don't wanna be hype about April and then have to wait till at least August to see this start panning out. Now, here goes how I look at everything else across the board with, I can't even just, just say the world. Forget just America, the world. I don't care on how people look at the spectrum of everything, right? I care about what the team needs, right? Mike, I've talked to you for, for a couple of years now. I've been telling you we've done with Swift. Been. The crazy part about Swift is that he can't stay on the field. He can't stay healthy. He hasn't had a 1,000-yard season yet. 
Yes. And they are trying to make him the bell cow. They knew it was over. I didn't think that they would do it like this, though. Gibbs was a great pickup. I'm happy about it. When it happened, I was happy about it. This is the thing. I really wanted B. John. But he dropped back. Holmes dropped back to 12 to get Gibbs. So he didn't have to pay that premier money to Gibbs like he would have to give to B. John at six. So smart of a move, right? Then you look at the Lions' defense last year, right? The way that the first seven games went, they went one and six. They were allowing 30-something points a game. They were the 32nd-ranked defense in the NFL. We had a problem at the linebacker position. Our best linebacker was Malcolm Rodriguez, a rookie. Alex Anzalone stepped it up at the end of the season and got better. We needed a linebacker. Our linebacker core was questionable at best. We get the best linebacker in the nation. He's the best linebacker in the nation. This dude's tackle percentage is crazy. His range is sideline to sideline is crazy. On his testing score, a perfect score is 10 flat. He scored a 9.98, as high as Brian Erlacher. So this guy is as tall, sizably as a Brian Erlacher and has the IQ of him as well on the field. This is huge for him to be on the field. If he could just pick this up instantly and get to start kind of how Malcolm Rodriguez started, him, Rodriguez, and Anzalone in the middle of the field, we just got to see how they could work together. I'm I'm fine with that. I love how these picks went before. Everybody's like, well, should you pick Gibbs and, and Campbell? I'm happy. Shut up. I, Holmes don't have to answer to nobody. Keep being magic. Like, he is complete magic. Then you turn around and they got Brian Branch, the best safety in the draft coming out of Alabama, and he's getting Alabama pieces now. Finally, Detroit's getting Alabama pieces. Like, wow, where has this been? Like, you haven't never gotten an Alabama piece ever. Like, we got Jamison Williams, but he sat out last year because his knee was torn up. Now y'all for the first six because of the, the gambling situation. We get an ultimate safety right now that is a combo guy that can go from the top of the box with this being a safety or come down in the nickel to play corner. He covers well, too. So that could be Will Harrison's replacement. And then turn around and then get Hendon Hooker just in case golf don't look good with this supreme office that he got in front of him? Crazy. Crazy. I love every last bit of this draft for the Lions. I cannot believe that I'm hyped about the draft, and I really try my best not to get hyped, but just think about me for decades. I haven't had a good GM since. Um, Matt Millen, terrible. Quinn, terrible. Like, they all would just go in there and get their first pick, and then don't care about rounds two, three, four, five, six, seven. They didn't care at all. They just put names in the field, and if they didn't make it, so what? The lines would just be crappy because we. This is how we drafted. I I don't I don't like that at all. Um, they focused on defense. They're still focused on the guy that they have there. The kid Levi out of Washington didn't even get to play yet. He had the surgery that sat him out all last year. The defensive tackle. So they already have Bugs. They got McNeil. They're fine at the defensive front, like in the, on the defensive line, they still got Pascal that only played two games. Jeff Pascal was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year down in Kentucky. Hutchinson's there. They got Aquara as well. Like, this defense on the low is loaded if it works right. If it works right, Detroit's defense is loaded. To go with an offense that's top five in the NFL, Detroit could be up to some massive things right now if this works out the right way. I don't want to talk karma out there because I know she got a metal Eastern bat waiting to take my head off, but I'm going to try my best not to bump into her 
But I am stoked about it. That's why I try my best not to talk to you about it because I know it's going to be recorded. But that's how I feel about <laughs> it. Like, for the moves that Holmes made, this is – it's like, why couldn't they get a GM to see pieces like this? Like, they they settled for Calvin Johnson to have nothing behind him. They settled for having job at best, had nothing behind him in the drafts. Like, these are how the drafts went. Stafford and nothing behind him. Like, it's all – and Dominic Sue and nothing behind him. Like, we couldn't get a solid three picks out of any of these drafts at all. None. 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 Uh, so now you got I love, you got a. Uh, no, you good. Go, go ahead. ahead. Now I was gonna say, got, I love the Laporta pick. Some people would have would have picked another man. guy, but I like mm-hmm. his physical presence. I love I love that pick at the tight end position, and I really 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 love that Hendon Hooker pick. He's a guy that I thought could fall to New Orleans in round two or three, but this is a guy that. You know, he may not be completely healthy going into this year, but, you know, we, we talk all the time about with quarterbacks, it's got to be the right fit. Well, this is a very high-powered offense. Hendon Hooker is a high IQ guy. Uh, being able to be in that room with Jared Goff, you know, you don't necessarily – if Goff does, can come anywhere close to replicating what he did a year ago, you don't need Hooker to play right now. But you can continue – to develop him, and then a year or two down the line, maybe, uh, depending on how things sort of evolve, this is a guy that, you know, is mature, that has the tools that that could possibly step in and be your next quarterback. So I really, really like that pick for Detroit as well. Yeah, the hooker situation has me feeling so good because he's a mobile quarterback, right? But he's very uh, tactical at hitting uh, – passes like he's accurate as hell they compared him to sam bradford i get it that's not the guy that people will want but sam bradford you know despite his injury history this dude was deadly accurate especially when he was in oklahoma every pass he threw was on the money everybody was getting hit right in the chest and and in stride it wasn't like they waited for a pass anywhere so it's like if he can make these passes on the fly to like jameson williams or hit st brown and stride after cutting somebody up this this could be dangerous so it's like golf Go ahead and mess around and be bad, even though I don't feel like you're going to be bad because you had an excellent ending to the season. I feel like golf is our quarterback. I don't care what nobody say. I'm Terrell Owens in Dallas after losing to the New York Giants in the NFC playoffs in 2007. That's my quarterback, and I'm crying. I'm crying for Jared Goff. I love you, Jared. For you to turn this around and have the world at your back, for him to throw seven interceptions in the season, I haven't seen that ever happen in Detroit. I can't tell you the last quarterback that has seven interceptions in a full season. Can't. Stafford always had double-digit interceptions. Who who, who you want me to go to? Mitchell, get out of here. Bats, get out of here. I could go all the way down the list. None of these quarterbacks ever had seasons like this. Goff has turned the corner, especially having one season with this core. And the one thing that's bothering me about the Lions in this draft is that they got Laporta, and he's a good tight end, and we already got good tight ends. People don't like Brock Wright. Brock Wright is a good blocker, and he got good speed to be his size. Zilstra is a good wide receiver type tight end. And the kid Mitchell out of Virginia Tech, he only got to start the last half of the season. They started winning when he started scoring touchdowns. It's like, how many good tight ends do you want us to have? But I get it. I get it. Darren Campbell's a tight end. (laughs) He is a former Lions tight end, so he is making sure that he keeps that room wide open and stocked right. So I like it. And all these guys are playmakers. All of the tight ends he has are playmakers. So keep it going as best as we can. I still feel like we need another running back. Um, As much as I'm calm with 
Craig Reynolds, but I don't think he's going to be the guy. They went and got Muhammad. I can't even pronounce his last name out of Minnesota. Muhammad I. Let's <laughs> put it that way. Um, he's a strong running back, but he doesn't have blazing speed. He gets caught a lot, but he's a strong, sturdy back. But I think they're doing this as insurance if Montgomery does get hurt because he's been getting hurt in Chicago. So I feel like we do need another running back. I'm hoping that we do keep Justin Jefferson. I mean, not, I mean, Justin Jackson, excuse me, Jefferson, Jamar Jefferson is the other running back. Jefferson is the fourth. I think they may end up getting rid of him because of how this running back room is going to look, but we will see how it does go down. But I'm, I'm extremely ecstatic for what the lions did draft and free to see everything across the board. I am questioning on the Jersey situation because Jamison Williams won a number one. They gave it to Cam Sutton. So I'm hoping this doesn't piss him off, but that's that's just in-house situations. Um, one thing I'm mad about with your Saints is that they uh, they took away Breesy. Y'all, y'all took away the defensive tackle that I wanted, and um, the Lions had to make do with what was in front of them. So with that, with that being said, your thoughts on the Saints uh, draft? You know, it's really funny because a, a lot of people are giving them B, B minus grades. Um, Jeff Ireland and that staff has done as good a job tagging guys that could be starters in this league. Um, Did something like the percentage of guys that they've drafted that have turned out to be starters in the league is either first or second most since Jeff Ireland took over the scouting department. So, I mean, we will see. I I like Brissy. I think uh, at, at defensive tackle, he's got a chance to be a real impact player. A lot of people kind of didn't like the Foskey pick from Notre Dame, but long reach and a guy that, you know, has the athletic scores. The Saints really have their prototypes, man, as far as what they look for, size and strength and on that athletic score. So you got Foskey, a defensive end uh, from Notre Dame, uh, and then they come back and tag the guy from a lineman from Old Dominion who they really like. Uh, big size guy who played some right tackle, but they think he can be versatile and play all over the line. You know, they got a little bit of an undersized quarterback from Fresno State um, who they really like, and, you know, he doesn't need to be a starter right now. He can come in and develop and learn under Derek Carr and Jameis Winston and just be part of that quarterback room. And then, you know, some people say he reminds them of uh, – of a Drew Brees type of player and the way that he processes and kind of undersized of being in New Orleans, he'll have a chance to kind of uh, probably pick his braid a little bit too. So, you know, the the one thing is, is over the last few years, the Saints have really been challenged as far as depth goes in that quarterback room. So I get the pick. And then the last two, you know, they got a safety from Minnesota who's a sure tackler uh, who's pretty solid. And then they get the uh, wide receiver from Wake Forest who, uh, a little bit inconsistent, but still 20-some-odd touchdowns in college. 6'3", uh, very athletic, can go up and get the ball and can run a little, and can run too. So uh, they got another athletic receiver. So I, I like the pieces that the Saints got. You know, they did kind of shuffle around and trade up, and uh, you know, trade up a couple times and sacrifice some picks. But, you know, it, if they hit on the majority of these guys and, and they're close to what uh, they they are projecting them out to be, uh, this could be a very, very good draft for the Saints, and people could be going back at it, looking back at it in a couple of years, and thinking this was an even much better draft than people initially thought. Well, um, we do play you guys, so um, you're going to have to meet me in that dome. 
I'm going to go down to that game. I got to go see that game. And plus, I know Jamal Williams going to be trying to show his tail. But I I just don't want Breezy to be going crazy because he's, he's a run stopper. And that could be tough for us, man. Him and Ragnar are going to be going at it. And he's a mauler. So, I'm hoping we could do well in that game. I, I want to see him live myself. But definitely get to go down to New Orleans and enjoy that as well. Um, and it'll be it's, it's oh, interesting that they call and it's interesting that they call Gibbs Kamara 2.0 because then it'll be watching Kamara versus Kamara 2.0. I would love to see this matchup. So this is this is us right now. This is this is how we got it going. So I missed there you one have kid. it. I, I missed the say? kid from TCU, the the uh, running back from TCU Miller that they got in the third round. They like him and they need some depth. Uh, with Jamal Williams and Kamara running back, especially if Kamara is going to be out for a while. But I think that uh, Miller kid has a chance to be really physical, kind of a one-cut-and-go type of back, but they, he gives him some depth in their backfield. Uh, he was really good at TCU, obviously didn't play in the title game. Not sure that really anybody from TCU played much in that title game anyway. Uh, but huh. I digress just to say that, like, listen, he's a uh, – you know, you, you add that running back to the mix, too. And my bad, that was just the one uh, draft pick that the Saints picked that I left out. So I wanted to make sure to throw that guy in there. All right. Now you can continue to your closeout now that you got the draft information out of me. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you, man. Uh, but so Tuesday nights we had the NFL show. Uh, you know, Barry said he's got a show coming down the line pretty soon. Uh, with Adriana, the New York Giants fan girl, who has been on our network a couple other times. So uh, they're going to dig a little bit more into those uh, New York football Giants and what they did. Uh, Wednesday night, the Callers Cookout. Uh, good versus evil, where good always wins, and it'll be Thomas and the villain. Uh, we're serious to myself a lot of times chopping up with them on Wednesday nights. And hopefully this Thursday night, Chan will be back in the saddle with me for Roundtable Gumbo. Man, check out the blog, the website, everything that we do. And then uh, TP, man, without you, uh, I wouldn't be here, man. None of this would be possible on my side, man. So I very much appreciate you. have all the respect and love for you, man. Always going to be family, man. And uh, much appreciation to all the other chefs and everybody out there. Until next time, man. Laissez les bons temps rouler. Yeah, you already know I got brothers from here to down there in Louisiana even in the heart of America and Iowa. I'm even getting texts right now from my big brother in California right now and telling me all about my job. And I'm like, screw you. You should be up here telling me about it too. I should be talking about your scratchy Niners, but my brother would also be mad that I'm talking about the Niners bad too, but they both Niners fans, so it don't matter. But one way or another, I would need them up here. So y'all might be getting that sooner or later, but I'm I'm pushing buttons. I, I just want you to know I'm pushing buttons. And um, he loved every last bit of the Lakers talk too. So I'm I'm getting Cali love right now as I speak. I don't even know how to host type talk text. Like I'm I got to do all this type of stuff. Get in the chat room. Get up here and talk to me. Like I, who's doing this? I feel like I'm a joker juggling in a circus. Like you can't do this to me. You got you got to be serious. You got to be serious. Like give it to me while we we on the air. Don't give it to me while. I got to talk, text, type. That's not even fair to me. It's not fair. You're taking away good content from across the board, across the country, across the world. For City, I'm happy that we got this one done. I'm mad that my voice left me over the weekend with battling this, this doggone allergy season. Still got a little cough from it. But as they say, the show will go on. On that note, tell a friend to tell a friend that it's the chefs again. And if they don't know, now they know. Thank <laughs> you.
Uh-huh.